Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. It's good to see everyone this morning. Thanks for joining us here that we might fellowship and worship our God together. Uh, as I was thinking about this week, I was reading through 1 Thessalonians, and I, I came across this passage. It's 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to just read it to you. It says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. I was reading that and thinking about the connection to James and this idea that we live in that last day, this moment where we, we are between the first coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming, and this reality that he could come back at any moment. And that by God's grace, we are trying to put on all these, these things that he promises he will give us through the work of his Holy Spirit in our life. And so we, we plead for that and we get together. And that's one of the things that we do. And here's how Paul actually ends that section. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. That's what we do. We get together to encourage each other. We do that usually through, through going through a book of the Bible straight through to encourage us by God's word, let it work on our hearts through his Holy Spirit. But we have other ways that we can do that as well. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been having our elders come up and just a chance to get to know them, to see the God that they love and to see how God has been working in their very lives uh, through, through many years and ways that he has shown himself to be faithful and good. And so this morning, we're going to be talking with John Mitchell. Would you welcome him up as he comes up here to share with us this morning? <laughs> it's good to see you. I'm glad you got the short memo. I know. It's, it's like you got to pull the shorts out at some point, and it's like some middle point. summer. It's good. It's getting right. I know it. Well, John, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, we're going to start with a question of, tell me about this group, and this time, tell me the names of some of these people. Uh, I think you got distracted by Debbie the first service. I did, and that's all I, I just kept about. on looking at her. I can't help it. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what I'm doing exactly. I think I was goofing off in this pose, but story of my life. So those are our six kids. I, I, I wish we had pictures of our grandkids up here. They didn't make the, they didn't make the cut, apparently. But um, this is my, my son, David, over here. And then Melissa, some of you call her Mel. Uh, I call her MJ, Missy, lots of different things. Um, and then there's Debbie, my lovely wife, and then Tria, who is in Costa Rica with Jesse Hart uh, this weekend. Tough one. And then Karis, some of you know Jenna, and then Becca. So those are our six kids. Good-looking family. Yeah, they are. Praise God for that. Mary, so, love your head. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's only good for you then. That's right. Um, so one of the things I try to ask, like, tell us a, a, a little-known fact about yourself that, that people might find intriguing. So, oh, wow, so many little-known facts. Um, 
one that I care for people to know <laughs> is really what you're asking. Mm-hmm. So Debbie uh, encouraged me this morning to, to um, share that I was uh, an assistant drum major in high school in front of the band, in front of the 200 people with, you know, the, I had, had on this really nice early 80s kind of a, if, how many of you know who Andy Gibb is? Okay, so thank you, thank you. So I had he, he, the Bee Gees, you know. Okay, help me out here. Somebody, Roz, do, do you remember the? Re- I know you're not old enough. What's that? Thank you, thank you. So the long flowing blonde hair, and then I had uh, this this yellow tuxedo with blue sequins and gloves and a hat with a plume. It was cool then. I'd probably get arrested if I wore it uh, now, but you know it was. I was somebody back then. Man, that's the yeah. picture I wish we had. Yeah. Do you yeah, have pictures yeah. of that? I, I do, but you will not see them. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> oh. uh, so what does your current stage of life look like? What, what's going on for you and Debbie right now in life, and where's God have you? We're kind of in that, that empty nester transitional phase, which is it's fun, but it's still a transition of trying to figure out, you know, just how we serve our kids and grandkids best. And and, um, and then we uh, have, of course, launched Inspire Idaho a couple of years ago when we merged. That's why we merged, so that we could um, do that. That's a, a nonprofit that cares for uh, uh, kids aging out of foster care. It's cool. a mentoring organization. We just love it. Get appointed with Jesus. And, wow. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. Um, so, John, I know that people have always wanted, I've always wanted to know. You can start to smile. I can see you know where I'm what going. What is it? Uh, so, so what was it like to walk with Jesus? Like, like what was it like back then for so you? So harsh. He turned 60 last week. I yeah. have to do this. Yeah. Like, yeah. you've got to bring the old jokes out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that, Ryan. <laughs> and uh, you will be there in a flash. Oh, it'll be so friend. fast. I, <laughs> I'm just, my kids already are doing it. Yeah. Um, no, really, tell us, what was your youth like? Like, for you growing up, like, what yeah. was it? Where were you at? And that sort of thing. So I grew up, actually, um, in Eagle, Idaho, before it was cool. And, uh, yeah, we lived in a little, on a 10-acre plot up there on North Eagle Road and uh, moved from uh, Winnetkin, from San Antonio, from different places, but was here from the third grade on. And uh, I, I would say we were, I was a nominal, we were a nominal Catholic family. Um, but I would, I would probably say amoralism or being amoral was probably the, the vibe, right, of our family, kind of do what you want be who you want to be, which meant that I believed in God but lived for myself. Uh, so I was a pleasure seeker um, without a doubt and was encouraged to be that. Um, probably the most life-shaping memory for me, and I think it is the most life-shaping memory, is um, when my dad, the day my dad left my family, he left my wife, my, my mom for another woman. And uh, I remember the day he walked out. I remember him holding his suitcases. I remember... Um, just so much. My mom, just a puddle of, of emotion and, and unable to know how to support her. And, and, uh, I, I said, you know, I've said before, I felt like something died in me when he left. It was just a, something changed in me. Uh, and I just shut off. That's all I can ex- describe it as. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not angry at my dad. I, I resolved all that. He's, he's passed away, but you know, I, I had resolved that before, uh, he died, but truth be told, because he had told my mom, his wife, you're a good wife and a good mother, but I don't love you anymore, what I understood very clearly was that if I wanted his affection, that if I wanted the greatest and best man I knew to love me, then being good enough wouldn't be good enough. 
And so I would have to be perfect. I'd have to be super impressive in everything. And so that really compelled me onto a journey of, of people-pleasing. And uh, I would say, um, uh, you know, perfectionism and, and then the twin fear, uh, fears of failure and rejection. Failure is always tied to rejection. Um, for me. And, you know, even though I, I enjoyed a lot of success, I, mean, I was a drum major, did I mention that? You know, in high school. And, and, uh, and I had some success with athletics, and the older I get, the better I was. Uh, and so I, I was really good. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but I got to see a lot of cool things happen for, for a teenager. And even though from the outside I was, you know, had a lot of things happen, a lot of things going for me on the inside, I was just terrified of being um, left, uh, of being rejected. Mm. I'm, I'm sure you've seen ways that God has used that now and oh, yeah. grown you through that, but with such, a, with such a hard beginning and sort of that rejection, were there people that came alongside yes. you to encourage you through that season? Yeah, man, I just thank God for, for the first person. You know, His name was Rick, and I, right after the divorce, like just right after it, I went to uh, 4-H camp in Donnelly. Anybody? Anybody? There's one. Thank you. I see that, Ben. Anybody else? There's two, two over there, so there are two. Okay. So that's it? Wow. It's kind of sad. It was fun. Donnelly, uh, uh, up there by McCall. And this was their tween camp. I had been to several of their camps before. The, a tween, I think, tweenagers or whatever it was. I don't know. But uh, I didn't name it. I take no responsibility for it. But all I know is that, that at this camp, I was a hurting kid. And I was already a rule breaker by nature. Um, and so I literally just r- broke every rule you could break um, at a camp. And I was very destructive, and we had um, gathered M80s from the fishing game. They used to give you explosives back then. All you had to do was ask. It was a wonderful time to be alive. And um, we, Wait, How many fingers? Yeah, I had a, oh, man, I, there, I could tell a lot of M80 stories, but I will not. Uh, because every mom will come up to me afterwards. <laughs> anyway. So at least the mom with young ones in here. So um, where was I? Oh, yeah, explosives. So blowing stuff up at 4-H camp, and I inadvertently set my uh, camp counselor's sleeping bag on fire. Uh, He was not in it, and it was an accident, but uh, I was fully responsible for it. And I remember a couple of the kids, I remember this scene, kids running down to the lake with this smoldering mattress to try to put it out. A couple counselor types. But um, so uh, I knew I was, I was on thin ice, and then the camp director called me. I said, John, we need to talk. And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, and I thought, I'm out of here, and I probably should be. Um, but uh, he, uh, he, we went on this walk. Let's go for a walk, you know, the walk. And um, we went down this little trail, and he stopped, and, and he looked at me. Now, you need to know, he knew me. He knew my family. He knew all that had been going on. And he was watching me, and he could see more than I think uh, I understood he could see. And so uh, he looked at me, and he said, John, how's it going at home? And I just melted. I just wept uncontrollably. And uh, he just put his arms around me, didn't say a word. That was it. And I didn't know he was a Christian. It turns out he was. Later when I came to Christ, he turned out to be a pastor of the church where I would attend. But in that moment, he embodied Christ to me, and I had a sense maybe things could be okay somehow uh, in that moment. Wow. So you end up at his church. Did he disciple you, or, or were there other people who did that? Yeah, no, I never, we never, not really. Um, 
So uh, there was there was another person that brought that God brought into my life named Chuck, and he was a. This is you fast forward four years from there of, of fast and hard living, living for myself, relationship to relationship, um, doing what I please, pleasure seeking, but at the same time unable to build healthy relationships because I'm always afraid of of um, you know being rejected, so never getting too close, but. Uh, and then uh, God brought Chuck into my life. We were both 17-year-old seniors at Meridian High School. Uh, we were both uh, athletes, uh, and we both shared an affection for red man chewing tobacco, leaf tobacco. And so we used to go on these long runs, this big wad of tobacco, and spit in this. It was fun. You would run in the snow. I don't know what it is. Very satisfying to spit in the snow. And so we would do this for many miles, and, and it turned out, though, that Chuck was a follower of Jesus, and um, he was a Christian, and God brought me a roughneck Christian just like I needed, and he would talk to me about the gospel, and we'd chew and spit and run, and, and, um, and then I remember one night um, after you know, a few weeks of this, we, just, we were out hanging out together, and we were driving in his little Toyota Celica, a little yellow car with a dent in the trunk, and, and um, I remember him pulling up to, to what, is, what used to be Eagle Elementary School, and you're saying, John, what's keeping you from putting your faith in Christ? I said, well, nothing. He goes, well, you need to trust Christ. You know, well, I'm going to pray, and you can pray after me. Now, at this point, I was intellectually, I think, convinced, yeah, I'm willing to do that, willing to try it, but it was still kind of like, I don't know, what does that mean? Do I really want to do that? And then he prayed, and he said, just follow me. And he said, Lord Jesus, I need you. And when he said, Lord Jesus, I need you, something stirred in me. The name of Christ, just God captured my heart in that moment so I could barely, barely utter the words, Lord Jesus, I need you. But it was like God was just welling that faith up within me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. And my life just changed. I felt God's love and grace, and, and, and um, I thought, okay, I, I think I will be okay. Uh, and um, sadly, Chuck really wasn't walking closely with the Lord. He's told me that um, since then, but he knew that I needed the gospel, right? Uh, and so he wasn't able to disciple me. And his parents had given me this Bible, and, and I was just devouring the Word, just loving Scripture and growing and you know, becoming you know, closer and closer to God. But because nobody discipled me, and because I had a, a history of, of, of a whole lot of sin and, and immorality and, and temptation and such that I succumbed to, I began to slide backwards into that. Uh, back into sin, and and yet I couldn't enjoy sin like I did before. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, well, this, I mean, I, I like it, but I, I, I don't really enjoy it as like I did because the Holy Spirit was in me now, and yet I couldn't really enjoy God as I had the previous months because I was pushing against God uh, in sin. And it wasn't until my, my freshman year of college that God brought another Rick into my life. He was with crew, and uh, he taught me how to follow Jesus. He taught me what it was to be a Christian. We spent hours and hours in the Word together. I remember under his tutelage, I read the book of Romans 30 times and, and, just, to, and just, you know, wrote and journal and journal and journal and journal. That was just kind of what it was. We were in the Word. You know, we were learning God's Word. And he taught me how to abide in Christ and, you know, walk in the power of God's Spirit and share my faith and began to see others come to Christ. It was just a whole different life. And I was, I was healthy uh, spiritually. And go ahead. No, I was going to say, praise God for a man who knew you, who yeah. wanted to speak into your life, for another rough Christian who yeah. loved Jesus, so still yeah. shared Jesus with yeah. you. Yeah. And 
and then a college minister. I mean, these these are just people that uh, sweet yeah. heart for the Lord yeah. and still poured into you by God's grace. All of it, hundred all is grace. And um, thank you for for pointing that out. And so then my junior year of college, I met Debbie. And there she is right there, the pretty one in the middle. And um, we began to date, and three months later we were engaged, but we realized that was a little fast, so we decided to wait nine weeks to get married. Um, and so, Man who knew what you wanted. Yeah, yeah. so five and a half months after we met, we were, we were married. And um, we are celebrating our 39th wedding anniversary in August. God. So by God's grace, yeah. I, do, I joke she has the gift of mercy. And so that's been very good for both of us. Uh, and so then um, after that, uh, we, I finished my senior year, Debbie and I, um, and we, we talked, we kind of laugh about it. Um, did it. How many of you, how many of you who um, are, say, 30 or younger, how many of you know what a typewriter is? Yeah. So Debbie used to t- do my, she used to type all of my papers for me. She was really fast at it. Um, so it was a team effort. And Finished up with a bachelor's degree in business administration from Boise State. And then we went on staff with crew. We decided we wanted to spread the gospel together. So we were in University of Utah in Salt Lake City. And then we went to Pocatello, Idaho State. And then went to seminary and then came back to Boise State with crew and then decided that God was calling us into church ministry. And so I took a, a what they called a senior pastorate role up in Washington, the Kitsap Peninsula. And um, it was the worst experience of our lives um, in many ways. God, you know, there was, there was beauty in it, and God brought people to Christ and all that. But it was there that I, I um, realized why I had resisted going into the church for, for many years. And I saw just how mean and dysfunctional the church can be. And after three years, I just had to get my family out of that uh, situation. And we left extremely wounded, and I wasn't sure if I would survive uh, ministry, but God in His grace uh, called me to Wheaton Bible Church. I was on the senior leadership team there. Got all kinds of development and, and encouragement there. and was able to, to see some cool things happen. But then the Lord kind of sent us back out again to reach people who weren't being reached. So we went to downtown Phoenix, of all places. Um, this is before the light rail had come in, and it was, it was just fantastic, though. We'd gone to reach the unchurched, the artists and hipsters. And uh, we saw so many come to Christ, grow in Christ, and still just celebrate what God is doing in their lives. But again, about five years, we realized that it really wasn't healthy for my, my family. And Debbie tried, took her about six months to finally get my attention that this really isn't the best for our family because of the, 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 the demographic of the church. And we had our kids really had no peers and some different things. But when I realized that um, I, I, my responsibility was to lead my church at home, before I could lead a, another church, I resigned, and through a series of events, God brought us home to Boise, and this is where we had wanted to be for a long time. Mm-hmm. We planted City Church, and we were there for 11 years uh, until we merged with Rev, and in, in large part because God was calling us uh, to uh, reach fo- to care for foster kids, and we weren't sure what that would look like, but as we jumped out, um, City Church was generous and gave us like a six-month parachute of some kind, and and that was helpful, and um, then Inspire Idaho was born, and so. But I still have a role here at Rev. Yeah, I'm, there are a lot of stories I'm sure in that whole thing there that you just shared all yeah. your whole life that I, oh, I yeah. look forward to hearing more about. Um, yeah, you. So you do Inspire Idaho, and then what? What do you do primarily at Rev right now? So I have a small um, part-time role at Rev in focusing on discipleship. Okay. 
Yeah. And so what, how then, what is, you've talked about discipleship several times throughout your story. Yeah. Other people, you, what is, what do you mean when you say discipleship and what does that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. And to me, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, um, so I become convinced that the heart of following Jesus into the life that he's purchased for us boils down to living out our identity in Christ as God's uh, beloved children. And so I see discipleship as helping others grow into their identity in Christ. And that happens in all the phases of what a church does, but that's kind of the laser uh, focus for me. So identity in Christ, that's the, that's, that's the big one for me. So then how, 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 does that, how does that identity get worked out then? Yeah. What does that look like? So I'll just tell you, I am blown away every day, more and more every day, that by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, um, God has made me his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. That in Christ, I'm deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally accepted, and complete all the time, and it doesn't have anything to do with my performance. And man, for a a people-pleasing perfectionist, that is really, really... Good news. And when I talk about God's deep love, I'm not referring merely to his loving kindness or his general lovingness. Uh, I'm referring very specifically to his covenant choosing, adopting love that sets us free in Christ from the condemning ownership and control of sin to make us his righteous sons and daughters in whom he delights, not because of our performance. Is that good news? (laughs) And so that's what I celebrate, that because of his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious, vindicating resurrection and ascension into heaven, I am God's beloved son and can never not be that. So, so you know, Ephesians 1, um, Kelsey, if, I could, if you could throw that up there, this, this section of scripture for me is so foundational. If I can, I can't help but preach, right? So it's just what I do. But um, he says, Paul says, even as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him, holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. And this was so huge to me because feeling abandoned by a dad um, and now saying, wait, God wants to adopt me. And he's the perfect lover, the perfect father, the perfect one, wants to covenant love me forever. It's so huge. So God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Read verse 8 with me. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He lavished his grace upon us. And, you know, there are so many things in this, this passage that just blow my mind. The first is when he says that in verse 7, in him we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. I have God's forgiveness. He says, in, John says in, in 1 John uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 12, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven. It's a done deal, past, present, and future. Your, your sins are forgiven for his namesake because he said so. And because of what God has done for us in Christ is sufficient. And that just gives me this flood of hope all the time. 
because I sin a lot. And this, this reminds me that when, when God united me to Christ by grace through faith, he deposited all the forgiveness I would ever need into my spiritual bank account. And he makes an automatic, simultaneous withdrawal every time I sin so that I'm never unforgiven, so that I'm always clean before him, so that even though he calls us to confess our sins, he does so not that we try to get new forgiveness. We don't actually ask God for forgiveness, in my view. We simply enter into the forgiveness that we have that is already true of us in Christ. And the reason that matters to me is because it means that my sin can never again, even for a nanosecond, separate me from God's covenant, relentless love. And I love that. And it just gets better. The gospel just doubles down over and over and over. I'm amazed by the fact that not only has God forgiven me for my many, many sins and for my sinful heart so that he sees me as blameless. Remember in, in uh, for Ephesians 1 verse 4, he says that we're blameless in his sight just as if we, we never sinned. But notice he also says that he sees us as holy before him. Blameless is, is like, I don't see you as having sinned. Holy means I see you as righteous. And those two things together just blow my mind because after forgiving us for our sins, he crowns us with the righteousness of Christ so that he sees us just as he sees Jesus. And think about this. This, this is shocking, actually, but true, that, that God sees us in Christ as he sees Christ, so that God sees us as if we have obeyed him perfectly, just as Jesus obeyed him perfectly. But it cost Jesus everything. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, and this is probably my, my uh, life verse. Uh, for our sake, it is for us, for the elect, for the adopted ones, for those who belong to him, for our sake... God made him, that is Christ, to be sin, even though he knew no sin. He was perfect and righteous, but God laid sin. Whose sin? His? No, our sin on him. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. And this, this glorious exchange, as theologians refer to it as, just it blows my mind. Christ took our sin. God assigned our sins to him so that he could pay for them, so that we could be forgiven. And then having forgiven us, he imputes or assigns the righteousness of Christ to us so that we now have what's called the righteousness of God, which is all and everything that God demands of us is already ours, as if we've already fulfilled it, because Christ fulfilled it, and now we're in Christ. So having been made blameless, he now declares us holy in our position before him. And it just blows my mind. You know, in, in Matthew 3, when Jesus is baptized uh, by John the Baptist, John dunks him, he comes up, and what, is, what does the father say? Do you remember? What did he say about his son? This is my beloved son, my beloved son, the son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased and now I'm in Christ by God's grace. And if you belong to Christ, you're in him. And so God sees us as he sees Christ, just as if we have obeyed perfectly as he has. And that's true in my best moment when I really think I'm killing it as a Christian. Wow, watch me go. And in those moments when I'm in my worst, slimiest, darkest 
sin. And that's because my identity in Christ comes back to that as a beloved son of God, as a holy, blameless son of God, uh, has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the perfection of Jesus and his perfect performance for me. And that sets me free from my fears of failure and rejection and just compels me to continually lay hold of what Jesus has purchased for me in Christ. And one caveat, I, God does call us into holiness. He calls us not to sin and to repent of our sin. But what I've learned and what I want people to understand in discipleship is that God calls us to turn from our sin, not to become right with him or to get back into a right place with him, but to enter into that which he's already purchased for us in Christ, to enter into the fullness of our life in Christ. And so um, because this is true, I don't have to be crushed by shame when I sin. I can just get up and move forward in God's grace, knowing it is done, it is complete. There's nothing left for me to do but walk with him. Yeah, it's like that the quote of uh, a child who's been offered the holiday at the sea but still wants to sit and play in the mud. Yeah. Right? It's, it's not something he has yeah. to do. Right. It's been given to him and offered. That's right. Though the mud can be fun. It can time, be. You know it feels saying. like it. You yeah, think it is. Yeah, you think it is until... Uh, I, love, I love that I send, we, I send you some questions about... You know, tell me about your life. Tell me about what you love about the Lord. And it feels like Babe Ruth kind of walking up. It's like we're going to the sovereignty of God. <laughs> Boom! Like we're the righteousness, the justice, the glory, the beauty, the majesty yeah. of who God is, what He's done in Amen. Jesus Christ. And I love that. I feel like you're just inviting us to come along and love that with you. And that's yeah. discipleship. That's I think forth. so. Isn't that what Jesus did? He he embodied the kingdom that He announced and invited people to come with Him. And so for me, that's what the Christian life turns out to be mm, praise god i didn't mean to, when i said the mud is fun i just mean i like playing i just hey, like playing always, in mud and stuff you know, you know yes, sand totally okay yeah, yeah grandkids. just get you know, okay whatever it's just okay. keep moving on. all right oh, we're talking fine about sand. so as as we are in this season of rev what are what is your prayer before the lord then right so now? i was praying for us as a church on the way in and i and i and i have been praying really simply that we would live that we would understand and live out our identity as god's beloved sons and daughters that's it. Because that not only is the key to individual joy in our walks with God, it's the key to a Christian community, a healthy Christian community on mission uh, for Jesus for a couple reasons. Uh, uh, first of all, the more that I understand that I have everything I need in Christ to be fully satisfied, the less I feel the need to vie for position or have things my way, or assert my rights, right? We love to do that as Americans. I have rights, right? And so, but I'm set free from that to actually live. Because asserting my rights, Jesus says, isn't actually living, right? He says, if you love your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you gain it, right? And I'll, I'll talk more about that in a minute. But um, I believe that that when I am free in Christ, I understand what I have in Christ, I can lay aside my rights to do what God calls us to in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And this is a shocking passage as well for us as Americans. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, read it with me, count others more significant than yourselves. What? I'm the most significant person in the room. You know why? Because me. Right? I mean, that's the American way. There, there isn't a, a less American uh, phrase than that, and yet this is utterly Christ in his kingdom. This is absolutely the heart of the gospel. 
And it's a picture of what Christ has done for us. In this passage, Paul is saying, live like Christ did, who gave up everything, who laid down all of his infinite rights. And you're going to quibble over your little finite rights that aren't even grounded in you, but in the image of God. You know? And so lay it aside. And what amazes me is that Jesus did so with joy, that he went to the cross with joy. And that's because his identity was in the Father, living for the Father, advancing the Father's kingdom by loving those whom God loves. And so um, that's, that's what I think he was talking about when he said, if you love your life, you'll lose it, right? If you make your life about you, I've noticed this, and I've made my life about me. I'm a professional living for self person, right? That, but the more I make my life about myself, the more I feel I need to chase something. The less I make my life about myself and make more of him and his life in me, the more free I am to really live. So Jesus says, if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, in me, for others, in my name, you actually gain the life that you were longing for. So that's how we'll become his people. And then um, the more we understand that we're children of a king, the more we'll want to uh, uh, advance his kingdom. And then the more God's kingdom purposes define us, the healthier we will be as a kingdom people and we'll desire to grow together and get past our petty, petty uh, uh, differences and really live for him. So, John, thank you for sharing so much about how much you love the Lord and what he's meant to you. Uh, we're so, I'm sure that me. has blessed so many people throughout your life, and I, I know it blesses so many here. So mm. thank you, and I just want to pray for you, you and invite you to pray with me for John. Father, just thank you for John. Thank you that he is a beloved son. Uh, Lord, that you that you chose mm-hmm. to know him and mm-hmm. that you chose to love him, Lord God, and, and you chose to save him uh, through the work of Jesus Christ, through his righteous life, through his death on a cross, through his resurrection and power now as he sits yes, in the right Lord. hand of power. Lord God, thank you that, that it's in the work of Jesus that you did everything and that John no longer has to work. Mm. He does not have to be a perfectionist. He does not need to try to win over approval, Lord God, mm-hmm. that he is found righteous in Jesus with all of his righteousness as well. Mm. Father, thank you for the ways that you love us. Thank you for the message that John continues to share about his life and about the goodness of God in his life. Lord, would you continue to do that for him? Would you be good for him, for Debbie, for their family? Would they continue to see your hand at work in this season of, mm-hmm. of loving on grandchildren, of caring for those who are aging out of foster care? Father, would you continue to use the power of your Holy Spirit in their life that many would see Jesus Christ in John. Lord, thank you for uh, his service to us here at Rev. Lord, thank you that he has cared for us, prays for us, and thank you for uh, the ways that you use him. I pray for many more years of doing that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.